Dutton's unelectable boof heads, Greens block more homes, good news from a listener about batteries. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison and joining me is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon and On, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, my wife, your friend, <laughs> Van Vadam. How are you, Van? I'm all right. I'm all right. Easter was nice. Easter was lovely. And, and you know, if you're listening to uh, this podcast and you were working over Easter, don't forget that you were supposed to be being paid penalty rates and in different states that will vary. So check with your union about the pay you should have received. If you're not already a union member... Oh, my God, you should join. And sort of it almost defies belief that you would be a regular listener of this show. But if you're a first-time listener, you can join at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. Join your union. Join now so that if you do have a problem with your pay, they can help you with it. Remember, you can't claim on car insurance after you have an accident. Same principles basically apply. Yeah, don't be that person who phones me going, I don't know what to do, this terrible thing has happened at work, at which point I go, are you a member of the union? And they go, no, and then I can't help. Then you're, do you know what happens? Is you're in a world of pain and that means like finding lawyers, paying lawyers, just join the union. Join the union before anything goes wrong. And, you know, there was a great uh, clip that we shared on the Week on Wednesday Facebook page. I think you've shared it as well, Van. Uh, if you haven't already, you, should, you soon will. Liz Ellis, who, of course, is an Australian netballing hero, was on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here and, and was talking about how netballers uh, formed a players association they met with Bill Shorten when he was Secretary of the Australian Workers' Union and joined a union to improve their conditions because, of course, they would get injured and they would have no coverage. And Liz was the highest-paid netballer in the country at the time. She was only earning $6,000 a year. Like, unbelievable. Now, of course, the highest-paid player, according to Liz, is earning around $200,000 a year, and the, the whole uh, sport has a level of professionalism. You can check out the clip. It's a really interesting insight because she's talking to these other uh, Australian celebrities about why everybody needs to be a member of their union. And, of course, there are unions that cover literally everybody. So jump on that link and join. Whether you worked on the Easter break or not, you, you still need to be a member of your union. Speaking of people who have... I guess, left the solidarity of a caucus. Van, we need to talk about Dutton and his unelectable buff heads. Unelectable buff heads. And we didn't even say it. That's not even us. No, the, the Launceston. That's not even an, a, like a be able to be on Apple so don't swear version of us. This is literally from the Launceston Examiner, one of the most conservative newspapers in the country. Has has said the... The a liberal party full of unelectable buff heads. Um, now this this has come about because of course they're unelectable buff heads. <laughs> they, I mean, there's feel, a certain logic to it. They really are. Even even uh, could not win in Aston. Well, even Phil Curry uh, from the Boss's pamphlet was saying that uh, the 
the decision by Dutton to back the no campaign on The Voice and the subsequent resignations of Ken Wyatt from the Liberal Party as a member of the Liberal Party, of course, former uh, Aboriginal Affairs Minister under Morrison, and now the Shadow Aboriginal Affairs and Shadow Attorney General uh, Julian uh, Lisa. Lisa has taken what few teeth were in the front bench out of the front bench. And made it a toothless monster. Yeah. like it's blah, 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 blah. That's a toothless monster <laughs> roaring. Blah, 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 blah. The dog is looking at me. It, well, I mean, it's, it's just... Blah! It's this cavalcade of, and, and apologies to everyone who had the sound all the way up in their headphones then, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I'm just so amused. Well, it's- I've been trying to work out why I've been in a good mood all day and it's, oh, I mean, the Liberal Party's completely imploding. Well, they're, they're blaming Labor. I mean, this is the thing that <laughs> just boggles my mind. So, like, uh, Julian Lisa has resigned because he spent 10 years working on The Voice uh, and working with Indigenous communities, and he's a strong believer in this. And under the Liberal Party rules, if you're in the Cabinet or Shadow Cabinet, you have to toe the party line, right? But if you're not in one of those bodies and you're a backbencher, you can essentially do whatever you like. Do people get what that is? Well, I mean, Well, let me explain what that is. Explain because, what that is. Because you can see it in live, in real time, with um, uh, Jared Rennick and Alex Antich, who just say crazy things, like genuinely right-wing So you know who they are. I, I don't expect everyone to know who they are. They're senators. Not everybody is pretending to be an active QAnon believer <laughs> online, as I am, and I, I keep all my accounts open. So I, so everybody knows I wrote this book about QAnon. Mm. I went undercover. I developed all of these fake online personas so I could infiltrate groups and things. And on the basis of my demographic information and presumably my QAnon posting, I get direct targeted by Gerald Rennick, who's a LNP senator from Queensland, and Alex Antic, who's a uh, Liberal Party senator from South, South Australia, Australia, all the time, all the time with their absolute m- just madness. Seriously, it's like getting Facebook advertising from a talking risotto. Like it is just absolutely unhinged uh, stuff. Gerald Rennick put out literally the weirdest climate denialist uh, video and he put it out himself yeah. the other day where he was like, what about conviction? Nobody, none of you climate scientists talk about conviction. And he seems to think the world is a big microwave that somebody's turned on and that's why things are a bit hot. And gravity and is if, the problem. And gravity is the problem. And I'm like, Gerald, 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 if you think gravity is the problem, is that because space is calling you? Do you feel too tied to the earth? You know, is the is is the magnetic pull of gravity what's keeping you here? And do you resent that? Do you want to find a pergle and sail off with the space whales to go meet Admiral Th- Grand Admiral Thrawn? Like, sorry, there's some very specific Star, Star Wars nerdism there, but he is just loopy. Well, and you saw all these climate scientists online mm, mm. desperately trying to explain mm. science to him. Sorry, I'm going off, no, but it was amazing. But And and Alex Antich has done a video. Mm, mm, that's Ben's hint for Ben. Mm. Well, Alex Antich has done a video where he says that Australia has fallen to communism uh, and the communists uh, and there's I wish you hadn't let me drink some water while you said that because I almost spat it on the microphone. There's, there's literally a still shot of him uh, where he has captions of his rant 
which has elements of QAnon conspiracy theory, pro-Trumpism, and just downright uh, like wackadoodleism, wackadoodle xenophobia. But of course, because it's captioned. There's a brilliant still shot that I've managed to take of Alex Antich that just says communist. <laughs> uh, so you can you can look for that online as well. But I mean that so basically being on the back bench of the Liberal Party is is a license to say and do whatever you like. Here's a question. Are the shops open? Because if the shops are still open, it is not communism. <laughs> no, well that's right. So so look, the 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 thing about this is so Julian Lisa, who is actually a serious person, who is a well-respected uh, legal practitioner. Doesn't blame gravity. Doesn't blame gravity. Does not think Australia has fallen to communism. <laughs> That's right. Has resigned from the front bench uh, because he wants to campaign for The Voice. Now, interestingly, when Dutton and Susan Lay Susan stood up and, Susan of and, Slytherin. and yeah. announced that the Liberals would be campaigning against it and that Dutton himself would be personally campaigning against it, they said that, uh, Julian Lisa had had to catch an early flight for Passover to return home. Now, I'm sure that's true. What they left out, of course, was that Julian Lisa, Shadow Attorney General at the time and Shadow Minister for uh, Aboriginal Affairs or Indigenous Affairs, was active in the party room arguing that they should have a conscience vote so that every member of the Liberal Party would be free to campaign whichever side they wanted. They left that out entirely. They basically just made out like, oh, look, Julian would be here standing with us. But Passover, but you Passover, know. But Passover, you know. Yeah. And the reality is as soon as he was. Yeah, you can want to campaign for The Voice and attend Passover with your family. These two positions are not irreconcilable. Correct. But what Dutton tried to do, and I think it's actually really dishonest of Dutton, was he tried to gloss over the fact that his shadow minister responsible for this area was opposed to the party's position and he leveraged the fact that it was Passover to hide the fact that Julian Lisa was clearly considering his position on the front bench. Jim is outraged. In order to be able to go and campaign. Now, what blows my mind even more about that is that since Julian Lisa's announcement, Peter Dutton has called on Anthony Albanese to apologise for Julian Lisa resigning from the front bench of the Liberal Party. All right, everybody, I just wanted to go through that one more time because when Ben told me this, uh, Ben was checking the news on his phone and I was, you know, thinking happy thoughts playing Ghost of Tsushima or something else, and he was like, they're blaming the Labor Party. And it actually took me, what, about a good seven minutes to try and piece together what on earth you were talking about. So their shadow attorney general, that's a pretty senior yeah. cabinet position. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So who's also the shadow minister for Indigenous Affairs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because Ken Wyatt is no longer in the parliament. Correct. He was, of course, the first Aboriginal person to hold that portfolio Correct. as a West Australian. Is he West Australian? Yeah, liberal? Uh, anyway. West Australian liberal, yeah. So, so Lisa is the, is the successor to Wyatt. And... And he has resigned his his shadow attorney generalship. He's still in the Liberal Party. He's still in the caucus, but he's becoming a backbencher because he will not be bound by the instruction of Peter Dutton and Peter Dutton's mm. faction, which we'll get to in a bit, that they have to campaign against The Voice because he believes in it. He supports The That's Voice. Right. That's right. He knows it's the way forward. He worked on the whole process around it. He's been very clear about that. Now, 
across the course of the last couple of months, as Dutton has positioned towards no, no, Labor has quoted Julian Lisa and his work on The Voice back to Peter Dutton and members of the Liberal Party who've stood up and asked questions in Parliament, right? Like they have literally said, your shadow minister has said these things in support of The Voice. Why will you not come out and support The Voice? Of course, history now shows it's because Peter Dutton never supported The Voice. No, he was going to be no all along. Who is surprised? Right, no one is surprised. Does Peter Dutton really seem like the kind of guy who's going, do you know what we need? We need a process to to reconcile, you know, like modern Australia with the past. You know, we need to guide, you know, ourselves as a United Nation towards treaty, your voice, treaty truth. That's what we should be doing. We have to acknowledge, you know, the terrible, terrible things that happen here so we can move forward. Does he seem that kind of guy? No. And I think Paul Carp tweeted today, you know, that uh, Indigenous leaders and communities around the country are actively asking people to vote yes on the voice while Peter Dutton is saying things like, well, I spoke to an Aboriginal person in the supermarket and they said they don't support it, so I'm getting my whole party to vote no. Like that's the sort of balance that Peter Dutton has in his head is that somehow or another uh, all of these community leaders, all of these experts, all of these people from right around the country, polls show 80% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people support the voice, somehow or another that's outweighed by the one or two people who've come up to Peter Dutton in the seat of Dixon and said, well, I'm Aboriginal and I don't support the voice. And that's fine. Not everybody's going to support it. It's a referendum. We've discussed this before. It's a binary choice. What the Liberals are doing is saying that Labor is responsible for Julian and Lisa deciding to quit the front bench, even though Julian and Lisa, it was very, very clear, uh, is, the, is that he says my resignation as a frontbencher is not about personality. It's about keeping faith with an issue that I've been working on for almost a decade, right? He's literally said it's about the voice. He he goes on to say that he will be campaigning uh, and voting for the referendum and for the voice. He's very, very clear about that. He's explicitly clear. What Dutton and Susan Lay and... Susan. And... Um, uh, I can't even remember the Shadow Home Affairs Minister, but she went on Sky and said Labor's to blame as well. Like, it's very strange. Th- what they're trying to do is they're trying to suggest that somehow or another this man has been bullied into stepping down from the front bench. I mean nasty Labor. Whereas the reality is, of course, he's been forced to step down from the front bench by mean nasty Liberal. And, and here's the proof, right, because Labor... No less a person than the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, the Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, the Attorney General, Mark Dreyfus, Josh Burns, Tanya Plibersek, Environment Minister, Linda Burney, who is the Minister for uh, Aboriginal uh, and Indigenous Affairs. And quite Aboriginal. Have all called what Julian Lisa is doing a principled position. They haven't called for him to resign from the Liberal Party. Some Labor... uh, Luminaries have. I know Doug Cameron, for example, is who like, is not a member of the parliament. No anymore. longer a member of the parliament. But of course, you know, people are going to make that call. Why won't you just quit the party altogether? I can understand. People have asked the same question of Bridget Archer, who has said she will also campaign for yes. All of those people, all those people I mentioned, all those ministers, senior cabinet ministers, have all praised Julian Lisa and said they welcome him 
to the Yes campaign. They welcome him to continue the consultations, to continue to participate in the discussion. Because it is a campaign for national unity. Can I just say? Yeah. Like, is this what, I mean, this is what I found hilarious about that Dutton presser where it was like, you know, Labor is seeking to divide the country by having a vote in the cause of national unity. Well, I'm just like, yeah, that's. Not really strong on the logic, and though it's all mean, nasty Labor's fault that Julian Lisa has resigned because they picked on him and quoted his own words back to him, despite the fact they have congratulated him, welcomed him to the campaign, and reaffirmed that this is a campaign for national unity. And that people of all political stripes are welcome, and you know they'll continue to have the discussions about wording, but ultimately the wording of the referendum question has been set by the reference group. That's the group, and it's not going to be, it's not Albo's words, it's not Dunn's words, it's not Julian Lisa's words. They're not Canberra words. No. They're Uluru words. And so it's a very... Uluru not in Canberra. Everybody knows that, right? Not in Canberra? Very interesting set of reactions, right? Because on the one hand, you've got Labor going, you know, fair enough, mate, Come and campaign with us. That's no problem. Good on you, right? Not even generally, not even having a dig at Dutton along the way, which I think has taken a huge amount of restraint on their part. Because frankly, I think Dutton is just an absolute mashed potato on this, <laughs> right? You've got Julia Banks, former Liberal MP, praising him. Monique Ryan, the not not praising the, Peter Dutton. No, Can no, I no underline? praising Lisa. Julia Banks. You know, a woman of principle, absolutely not praising. No, Peter but Dutton. praising Lisa. Um, Monique Ryan, Lucy Turnbull, Malcolm Turnbull, all of them praising Julian Lisa. Right, but who's out there attacking Julian Lisa? The Liberal Party. The mouthpieces of the Liberal Party. I love it. Right, so not very few. Liberals directly are attacking him. Just all the people publicly associated with them. People like Sky News. Right. People, uh, the boss's pamphlet, the AFR has You know, other clues that Australia has not fallen to communism because let me tell you, like communist revolution, row of tanks, no Sky News. Another clue, communism has not taken Australia. Well, Prue McSween, for example, Ah, called called him a traitor. Called him a traitor. Called Julian Lisa, the former Shadow Attorney General, member for Barara, one of the safest Liberal seats in the history of Liberalism. Said he should be thrown out of the Liberal Party. Greg Sheridan on Sky called him self-indulgent and damaging to the Liberal Party. All while the Liberal MPs themselves and Liberal leadership are going, well, you know, in our party we allow this sort of thing and this is why we're so important. Oh, yes, because just so everybody knows, there is a difference. In the Labor Party there is a binding caucus. Yes. That means that the internal majority vote that's you have to collectivize around it. it is a condition of your membership of the parliamentary caucus and if you vote against that public outside of the caucus room you are out of the party you're in the party or you're out of the party there's no one foot in one foot out the liberals basically you had the one foot in one foot out policy labor is we are one party and we and we vote and we have internal democracy and then we have a unified position and if you can't Stick to the unified position. You've either got to go back to the party room and re-prosecute your case or you've got to leave. Mm. That's a, it. A Labor senator described it to me once as we are like bees. Yeah. 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 Like there is, there's a hive and we're the bees 
And what the hive's doing, we're all doing. Yeah. You know, and you can buzz as my I'm extending the metaphor, they didn't say this beat, but you can buzz as much as you like inside. Yeah. But there is unity on the outside. And in the past, there have been people who've crossed the floor, just the parliamentary term for voting against your party, and that's it, they're out. Yep, they're out. And and by the way, this extends from the the highest position to to the newest backbencher. Billy Hughes, former Prime Minister, leader of the Labor Party, wouldn't do what the caucus agreed and is being known as a rat for life within the Labor Party. Yeah, the two South Australian MPs who voted with the Liberal Party to privatise the South Australian um, power yeah. power grid that sell the State Electricity Corporation, they were known as the rats. I can't even remember what their names are. Yeah. And to the point where they had to get new offices because Labor people wouldn't, like, <laughs> share a hallway with them. Yeah. And, look, it's because culturally we believe in the collective. We believe that a pr- fundamental principle of democracy is if you voluntarily join a collective and you voluntarily sign up to the rules of that collective, then you must abide by the rules of that collective even when you don't get your own way. That's fundamentally what it's about. So it's called majoritarianism. Yeah, you're not always going to get what you want, but you know that your values are aligned generally and you're going to do the work with your colleagues to get the outcomes that make those values a reality. That's that's the general principle. And I try to explain this to people. Like people go, oh, yeah, you know, the Labor Party and factionalism, blah, blah, blah. And it's like if you can't if you can't win the support of the Labor Party, you're not going to win the support of the rest of the country. Yeah, that's, you know? the, that, and that's the basic principle. And, and the idea is we are, we are not a country that believes in minority rule. Like we may still be a constitutional monarchy. Hopefully, that's on the the list to yeah. to move past. We're a country that believes in democracy and majoritarianism. And in fact, the point of our system is not that you individually get what you want all the time, because that would make you an aristocrat. Yes, you know. And yeah. in in political terms, it's called particularism. Yeah, you know that that we want everything that we want at all times. And stop me if uh, this might we'll, we'll lead into this, a, yeah, uh, yeah. another discussion. But this is, you know, the Liberal Party are trying to have their cake, vote for it and expel it from caucus at the same time is essentially their. Well, it's really full on. Like some of the stuff has, you know, they've said that he's bad for Liberal unity, uh, even though the Liberals claim to have this kind of freedom. A broad church. We're a broad church. Like it's really full on. The Daily Telegraph has described this now as a two-front fight for Dutton to beat Albo. I think that's weird. I can't. I don't even. I don't get the logic. That. None of it makes sense. Blaming the Labor Party for their own factional dysfunction and the fact that it, it, it what seems to be the characteristic of Peter Dutton's leadership is crash on or crash through. That it's, it's his way or the highway and his his absolute, like, hard conservative conviction dominates everything. And when you see his press appearances, he's running this this line of, you know, I'm a fighter, I never give up, you know, like, I'll get my way eventually. And it's sort of like that's not how democracy works, Peter. Like, in democracy, there's give and take because you don't get to have what you want all the time and it's not you versus the world. It's supposed to be you on behalf of the people. And one of the reasons why the Liberal Party is just hemorrhaging votes 
is because they have moved too far to the right to the point where they cannot make an argument with the centre anymore. The fact that you have people like Julian Lisa and, and the kind of people who are supporting Julian Lisa as well. Um, Bridget Archer. Bridget Archer, Malcolm Turnbull, or the Turnbull family. Andrew Julia Bragg. Banks, Andrew Bragg. Like who, these, by the way, I have issues with on a whole range of other Oh, things. yeah, Andrew Bragg. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. Tory scumbag, but yeah. he's a Tory scumbag more towards the centre yeah. than the lunatic fringe. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Peter Dutton, the lunatic fringe is his favourite nightclub. He goes there all the time. Well, you he, know, hanging with Gerald and uh, Mr. Antic. Woo! Yeah, you know. Well, he really does because we have to say here too, right, like the No campaign, don't forget, had a launch where you had uh, Warren Mundine, Pauline Hanson, Barnaby Joyce, uh, all on a stage together. And now, of course, Pauline Hanson has come out and said that Jacinta Price the uh, country Liberal Party senator from the Northern Territory, who is vehemently opposed to The Voice, has been a long-time Sky News contributor, is on Sky News constantly uh, God, talk, it's talking a mark about of shame, it. isn't it? Like it's Long-time just, Sky News contributor. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's who she is. Pauline Hanson has said that now is the opportunity for Peter Dutton to make Jacinta Price the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Affairs. I mean, you have to remember, there was a time when the Liberal Party expelled Pauline Hanson for being too racist. Uh, and now she is advising on their cabinet selections. So, okay, everything's fine, everything's normal. I mean, I feel sorry for Julian Lee. Like, there are not a lot of stupid people in politics. We go on, commentators, you know, mm-hmm. one one's... A side of ideological preference is brilliant and glorious and the rest of it, and the other side is, you know, full of dodos. And let's be fair, like most people in politics, you've got to be pretty smart to win a pre-selection or to negotiate support. Or very, very lucky in the or case very, very of lucky. Advantage. Or, 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 or you are of convenience to somebody. Yeah. I mean, we all know that these people exist. Their hand raises. Yeah. You know, they get to go to the party because they're bringing the drinks, you yeah. know. Um, or really good fundraisers for whatever <clears throat> Stuart Roberts. So where we're where we're at is somebody like Julian Lisa, who's the member for Barara, which yeah. is on the North Shore, fancy part of Sydney. He's making an electoral calculation, like he's committed to the voice shore. Yeah. But he would be watching people like him and the seats like his they represent falling like nine pins. Okay, like because he lives close to um, Barara is not next to Warringah, but it's not demographically far away. No. And Trent Zimmerman has come out and said how principled, and of course, former Liberal MP who, for North Sydney, for North Sydney, who was knocked off by a teal, uh, has said that Julian's a very principled person and clearly taking a principled stand. And and you're absolutely right, Ben. He's also taking a political position, right? Yeah, he is because they're vulnerable to teals and they know that they're vulnerable to teals because people would rather vote teal. And if people can't vote teal, they'll vote green. 
Or they'll vote for the Labor Party, which is what happened in Aston. Yeah. You know, and what happened in Brisbane. And in Higgins. When people talk, yeah, and in Higgins, which is now a Labor seat, which is something that I struggle to process most days. But if you look at the, what, you know, the famous Green slide, the three green yeah, yeah. seats that they picked up in Queensland, there were not teals running in those competitions. Correct. And you had Liberal voters, like people who would have been lifelong Tories, just going, I, I can't. I just can't. And something like The Voice is a real litmus of that. It's mm. like, well, what business do you lose? Like, And we know who these demographics are. These are materially self-interested communities who means in liberals, yeah. you know, economically conservative, socially progressive, yeah. right? That That's the the smaller liberal, that's the transmimmons, the moderates, that's what they yeah. represent. We don't really care about having gay neighbours as long as they also run a small business, basically. Yeah. So we're now in this situation where The Voice, nobody loses any money on The Voice. The Voice is not a threat to business. Correct. The, the, the Voice is not going to reduce your, you know, landlording capacity or your superannuation balance or any of those sort of Tory issues. You know, the voice is not going to cancel your franking credits. No. And so you have The voice is not going to cancel your franking credits. No, it's not. The voice is not going to cancel. I think that's a good campaign. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's not going to happen. So so why really would you vote against the voice, apart from the fact that you were, you know, racist? So that's- that's the divider, the line in the set. I mean, this is what's so hilarious about Dutton going, I'm absolutely going to get people to make a choice. It's like, mate, I don't think that's going to work out for you. Well, he's, and look, you know, we, we want to be, uh, we want to be fair. I'm not sure we want to be balanced, but we certainly want to be fair. <laughs> um, and to be fair to Peter Dutton, he's. Within our framework as democratic socialists, we'll be as fair yeah, as possible. He's espoused, I mean, the answer remains democratic socialists. Yeah, his espoused view is there should be local and state based voices, regional based voices rather than a, a national voice. Uh, and there should be a form of symbolic constitutional recognition. Now, of course, I mean, other people will pick holes in all of that because there's lots of them, including the fact that he has consistently rejected things like the apology on the basis of it being symbolic and not meaningful. Uh, he He's ignoring the fact that South Australia has a state-based voice. He's ignored, ignoring the fact that Victoria is going through a treaty process and has gone through regional uh, representation of Indigenous people. Like There's a whole range of things that he's just conveniently ignoring exist, including his own past statements, in order to say this is his position now. So we'll put all of that to one side because fundamentally there is no rationale or reason to oppose this. Like there are people who claim to be on the left who oppose this too, right, because they go, oh, it's not enough. And that argument I just always find to be ridiculous because mm. it's it's that it's that individualism, it's that particularism, it's that if I don't get everything I want right now, then nobody gets anything kind of position and it's, Totally I hate it. I can't stand it. I just find it anti-collectivist. And this is why Ben and I say in this country there are two parties. There's the Labor Party and all of the anti-Labor parties. And, and all of the anti-Labor parties have that same particularist, individualist 
like worldview. They're not collectivists. They're not the hive. They're not the bees because the bees all work in the interest of the hive, even when they don't like what the hive is doing. There's an end point, you know, like yeah. which is the light on the hill. You, however you want to you make describe it. Enough honey for everyone in the hive. That's the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we do that by working together. Now, socialism does not limit how high you can climb. It limits how far you can fall. Indeed. Speaking of falling, Susan Lay is. This I found this to be hilarious, right? So on the back of all of this, the Liberals are obviously trying to, you know, keep the pressure on, in inverted commas. I just don't think – I think the next news poll will be really interesting, by the you way. You do it to yourself, <laughs> you do. She's going campaigning in quote, unquote, 16 marginal seats. Now and That's what really hurts. You should do it to yourself. This tour across five states in 16 days – going to 16 seats in the lead-up to the budget, notionally to talk about cost of living, which, by the way, is entirely the fault of the Morrison leftovers and the mashed potato. Like, the cost of living crisis, they destroyed our supply chains. Like, they not the only ones. In globally, lots of neoliberals did the same thing. They've all bought into it. And now we reap the whirlwind of it, right? It like completely smashed manufacturing capacity. All those things. You know, it made us completely. Wage caps. All of it. All of it. it. Reduced public service, outsourcing. All of it. Giving yeah. up the reins over prices and incomes. Yep. Letting gas companies just make huge profits at the expense like pay no tax, basically. And my favourite is the free trade deals around beef. Yeah. If you're wondering why beef is so expensive, it's because Australian farmers make more money selling it to China. Oh, that's right. We're now in a global beef market like we are in a global gas market. So despite the fact we have plenty of locally grown beef, just like we have plenty of local gas, what someone will pay for it in another country where they have none at all, which is obviously going to be a high price, is the global price. That's how global prices are set, folks, and that's why these sort of free trade deals where you can't have domestic supply carved out for a domestic market are so very, very bad. Now, I'm not saying trade is bad. There's lots of good things about trade. Ben is very pro-trade, everybody. I want you to know he's a pro-trade kind of guy. I am pro-fair trade. But he absolutely loves regulations, don't you, darling? you've got to have trade between parties that are equal or that have equal capacity, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why we don't have that. We're not going to get into all that today, but Susan Lay, who was part of smashing the Australian economy for 10 years, is now doing this cost of living tour. And these are the marginal well, seats. I wonder why things are so expensive. This, this is this is what got me, Van, though, is the marginal seats, quote-unquote, that she's going to, they include four seats lost to the Teals, North Sydney, Warringah, McKellar, and Goldstein, right? So this is them... They're sending Susan Lay out to try and win back the heartland two weeks after telling the the Menzian Liberals, no, Peter Dutton's in charge and we're going to be very- Voting no on the voice. Voting no on the voice. Yeah, on those social issues that actually determine your character as an electorate, yeah, we're voting no. So there's- Apparently Susan Lay is a moderate. Apparently so. I'm a fell off my chair. She's a moderate who's under threat from conservative- uh, party members, and of course, if she is no longer the candidate, the Nats can run as well, and the seat may well fall to the Nats because she's the member for Farah, which is a very regional seat. 
all this interesting. A shout out to our comrades Labour for Farah, who are one of our favourite uh, Twitter accounts, who listen to the show religiously, and these people fighting the good fight against Susan. Doing just more power to doing the people's work in Tiger Country, but also. So she's going. There are two Labor seats. She's going to Higgins and Bennelong, which traditionally they were Liberal seats until for a quite long recently. Time. They yeah. were for a long time. Uh, then there are then there are two Liberal Metro seats, Sturt and Menzies. The idea that you would have to bolster the barricades in Sturt, formerly held by Christopher Pine, <laughs> and Menzies, formerly held by Kevin Andrews, and named after Menzies, like is just. Off the hook. The idea that Menzies is a seat that requires attention from the Liberal Party. Marginal seat campaigning. Is staggering. <laughs> like, does everybody remember Kevin Andrews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he was the one who wanted the government to fund marriage counselling so no one would ever get divorced. Like, yeah, who's yeah. that guy? Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. And and for must-keep seats in Queensland, Ford, Longman, Herbert and Fisher now these are these are seats. Uh, some of I think at least one of those is on a double digit margin. <laughs> like when they talk about campaigning in marginal seats, uh, oh, they're also they're also uh, going to Lions in Tasmania and McNamara, which is a three quarter contest uh, around St Kilda uh, and um, that part of uh, Melbourne. And Josh Burns, who's who, the Labor MP, there, of whom we are great fans, is. The Labor MP and a fantastic community engaged, very representative of the electorate. And increased his margin in the last election. And increased his margin and he's an extraordinary campaigner. And I'm just like, really, Susan? So by my Josh Burns. So by you sure you want to pick that five? So by my count of the 16 seats, so-called marginal seats, that Susan Lay is going to campaign in uh, to talk about how terrible the Labor government is. Uh, only four of them are held by Labor. Uh, six of them are held by Liberals, uh, and the remaining six uh, uh, and the remaining seats are held uh, by uh, Teals. by Teals. So this is just just phenomenal. Like I just can't quite get my head around this. Concept, but we're learning so much about the Liberal Party. So it was David Crow did a handy factional guide to who's who yeah. in the Liberal Party that Ben and I found very educational. Uh, for the it has the raw numbers of who backs who in the Liberal Party caucus, and it's fascinating because Peter Dutton's faction is dominant. There are totally thirty dominant. of them or something yeah. of people who share his extremely unpopular yeah. election non-winning worldview. And the rest are split up around, you know, three or four other groupings. So there's no other group. It's not like there's one big group and one small group. It's like there's one really big group and then three small groups of people who are around the edges. And it's because they lost all those seats. They they lost, you know, they lost Higgins and they lost Bannalong and they lost Goldstein and North Sydney and Warringah and McKellar that were all Menzian seats. They've lost Aston, right? Which this is this is a point where the Liberal Party is really becoming the Conservative Party. And in fact, I saw a headline today where there's a Victorian MP who wants to crack open the coalition agreement. And have liberals. A Victorian Liberal MP. Yeah, Victorian Liberal MP who wants to crack open the coalition agreement so that Victorian liberals 
can campaign against Victorian nationals to try and win seats off the nationals. Now, that is bonkers. You know, this, this that alliance has been the bulwark against Labor since the days of Menzies. The Liberal Party and the Country Party, and then the Country Party became the National Party, and that's with the exception, I think, of one of the terms of Howard, the Liberals have only been able to govern through that coalition. So realistically, they they need to be together. Labor governs by itself, and this is what you said before. There's the Labor Party and then there's the non-Labor parties, and now those non-Labor parties, even who have been allied for decades, are... Uh, looking for ways to cut each other's lunch and gobble it all up for themselves. Oh, it is it is an extraordinary time to be a Labor person. You know, it is absolutely wonderful to watch the, the others gobble one another. And it is the factional information is so interesting at looking at how power coalesces around a leader. Yeah. You know, like Dutton is more powerful factionally now that he's the leader. He's picked off, you know, yeah. people from other factions who are trying to get in his good books and, and the rest of it. Like it's a really good sort of map of power. But it's also sort of terrifying because it's the moderates who are the threat to the Labor Party, you know, contesting around mm. that sort of swing swing seat ideology, mm. you know, and – and people who we know who were swing voters, who were huge fans of Malcolm Turnbull, yeah. who, you know, were aspirational like Julia Banks, who, yeah. you know, connected to people like, um, you know, found Christopher Pine like erudite and charming and Kelly O'Dwyer, you know, representative of, you know, the ambitious yeah. corporate woman and, and those kind of, you know, that's it's quite why, a powerful brand. It's why Morrison, They're all gone. Yeah, it's why Morrison rolled out Jane Hume again and again and again during the election campaign, right, because... Jane Hume had worked in superannuation and she was a professional woman and she's a member of the front bench. And yeah, But it's like those people, as you say, are gone. Well, I mean, and this is the thing, and they're doubling down. They're in that really dangerous territory for a major party and major parties all over the world end up in, in yeah. la-la land from time to time. You know, this is why, this is why it's so important that Labor people pay attention to what's going on in the Liberal Party because this is what you get when you allow, when branch stacking is out of control. This is what happens when you banking your sort of radical base. Yeah. And because this is what's happened, we know this in Victoria because we live here well, that they've been recruiting religious communities as the Liberal Party branch stacks. Extremist religious communities. Extremist religious and, communities. And, and I say, and I don't not mean, kumbaya Christians. No, no, not them. Like you know, forcible conversion type people. Um, and and the the funny thing is the interesting thing from my perspective is that the the whispers coming out of Queensland right where the LNP does have a majority of the federal seats even though there's a state Labor government and obviously Peter Dutton is from there is that they are looking to they're actually more moderate right so the members of the LNP there they put James McGrath above Amanda Stoker. Amanda Stoker, who, of course, is... A conservative crazy. A conservative right-wing... Anti-abortion. Anti-abortion, you know, was on the front bench under Morrison because just signed up to the Morrison kind of, you know, hands in the air. Chosen by God. Chosen by God stuff. James McGrath, a much more um, kind of rural, conservative, you know, institutionalist, uh, was put above her on the Senate ticket 
Amanda didn't win uh, re-election. James McGrath did. They're now looking because Jared Rennick, of course, is from Queensland and was in. He's from Queensland and was, you know, elected in the 2019 loss uh, from what was at the time considered an our loss, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Labor's loss. Yeah, yeah. from an unwinnable position, right? Like notionally, he was in third spot, which was deemed to be, I think, it was third, maybe fourth. No, Either way, third. It was an unwinnable position, and he got up. They're now talking about relegating him to fifth just to make sure that he doesn't get re-elected under any circumstance because actually the members in Queensland are more moderate than the people who end up filling these positions and get appointed into party positions because of the power of people like Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison. Well, this is the thing. So there are rumours circulating that Scott Morrison is finally going to resign from the seat of Cook. Yeah, and his, his faction, by the way, has almost completely melted away. It's basically Alex Hawke, Scott Morrison, and whoever delivers the coffee that day gets dragged into that faction now. Yeah, so Morrison and Morrison's, you know, there there will be no com- comeback. God has spoken, and the verdict on Scott Morrison was not positive. But the seat of Cook, which was, of course, yeah. my mother's seat, which is the, you know, saddest reality of her death was that she died in Scott Morrison's seat, was that um, he's talking about finally resigning and, of course, there's going to be quite the pre-selection battle because even though there have been big swings in Cook, thanks mm. to our friend Simon Earle, who was mm. the Labor candidate there, also ran for Labor in the state election for Miranda and has turned Miranda marginal, which is amazing. Lost by less than 200 votes. Yeah, in Miranda, unbelievable, um, that the margin has, has reduced mm. in mm. Cook. And it, so it is one of, you know, increasingly rare safer seats in for the Liberals, especially as yeah. an urban seat. And there was a piece in Crikey that was talking about the factional makeup of the actual pre-selectors in the seat. 40% of that seat back Scott Morrison. But there are two 30% sized um, moderate factions. Yeah. Even in the seat of Cork, the moderates have the numbers. And of course you get into the the horse trading around pre-selections yeah. and how that all works. And of course state offices and national offices have sway and there was quite the brutal pre-selection yeah. when Morrison got the seat in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the Liberals do. And if they do, if they repeat their mistake in Aston where they get a high quality candidate who has absolutely no relationship with the local area. There are a couple of local people, Mark Speakman, who's the state member for Cronulla, yeah. who um, has has been quite popular. Uh, he's been talked about as a Liberal Party leader in New South Wales to be opposition leader yeah. and is sort of hedging his bets just in case he gets the nod for Cook, which he'd prefer, you know, as a federal state, but various other sort of people, the controversial Liberal mayor who they're considering. Can I just say, though, the fact that Speakman uh, is hedging his bets, right, it just it just speaks volumes. Like, yes, he's not a B. It, it just it speaks volumes. Not a B, not a hive, not means, a hive person. It means that he hasn't decided whether it's less likely or more likely that there'll be a one-term New South Wales Labor government, which is a minority government, or a one-term Albanese federal Labor government, which, you know, is a small majority government. Like, he, that he won't declare one way or the other, you would think that he he would strengthen his claim on Cook by declaring early and going, well, I've just won the seat of Cronulla, but fundamentally, 
you know, the opportunity arises to follow in the footsteps of our former leader, I'll do that and represent the broader electorate of Cook, which includes Cronulla. And, you know, you would you would lay claim, right? Instead, he's hedging his bets. He's not even saying, you know, I can lead the Liberal Party back to government because, frankly, Labor's only got a minority. Like, that's how fractured these people's thinking is at the moment, is they're just unable to even see a pathway to actually governing. And part of me is like, because really they don't want to govern, like fundamentally, right? Like they just want power for the sake of power. Mm. I mean, well, this was the lesson of the Morrison government. They didn't They didn't want to govern at all. You know, they had one or two ideological wish list items, which they always have, yeah. you know, smash the unions, torture poor people, yeah. you know, Tax uh, throw, uh, throw yeah. refugees to the sharks, I mean, and, and burn the environment. I mean, they're the sort of... Yeah. They're the, they're the issues of the base. Yeah. And <laughs> the most literal terms of the base. But they couldn't really get it together no. to really pursue any of those things. And Morrison's absolute, like, he's he was like, you know, bad Hamlet. He was like a bad Hamlet, what we, a Thomas Poole Hamlet. In the Victorian era, by the way, this is my drama degree speaking, they used to, Shakespeare was still in copyright, so hacks basically used to rewrite Shakespeare, and that's the kind of Hamlet, and there's a famous one by Thomas Poole, um, and that's the kind of Hamlet that he was. He was sort of famous for inaction and, and sort of really incompetent and in action yeah. at the same time. I mean, yeah. that is that is Scott Morrison. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not the uh, trademark Disney character. He's, in fact, Michael Ratt, for example. Yeah, so <laughs> he, I mean, he, he, he created the damage of inaction. Yeah. That was really, that's the Morrison legacy on the environment, on the economy, on cost of living, on everything else, and we are living in the necessity of the great labour cleanup job. And, and this is, I mean, this comes now, I think, to the to the next really big issue that I want to talk about, and that is housing. Like Michael Pascoe has written an amazing piece. In, we love Michael Pascoe. In the New Daily today. Absolutely love him. You should read everything he writes. It's a fantastic piece. It's trended on Twitter. Uh, it talks about the macro problems around housing, and fundamentally the macro problem is the federal government for a very long time has not invested enough in housing. And so at the end of the Menzies era, 72% of Australians were buying their own home. That number has dropped to 66%. Okay, macro means the big. The big picture. The, the big, big structural picture. picture. The, at, the, at the highest level, the biggest issue, the fundamental problem is that nobody ever talks about that. Because people go, oh, it's a st- housing is a state issue. Menzies was very clear: housing is a state issue, but it is in the interest of the Commonwealth that quote tiny capitalists can own their own home. Like that, you know, it's weird to think that that's the language people used then. But he literally said that. Pasco goes on to say the problem is that the heirs of Menzies turned tiny capitalists owning their own home into tiny capitalists owning other people's homes as well. And that's the situation we have now. The housing market is a basket case. You've got rents going up. There's not enough supply. Rents are going up 60% in New South Wales. It's huge. Like Like, that is completely insane. It's fundamentally shocking that that the situation with housing. But there's there's a macro and a micro here. And the the, the big picture stuff is being blocked not just by Liberals, right? So Labor has said they want to have a $10 billion uh, housing fund, which will create 30,000 houses. Now, the Green member for Griffith uh, has said 
on a Guardian podcast that <laughs> that uh, thirty thousand affordable homes over five years is the equivalent of quote taking a bucket of water to a forest fire. Now that I get the I get the analogy. It's an interesting analogy. It's very visceral. You know. No it's question. also wrong, but it's, sure. It's, okay. It is totally wrong um, because fundamentally 30,000 more affordable homes over five years is better than zero more affordable homes over five years. Yeah, and 30,000 30, 30, more homes. I mean, they're not all single occupancy. I mean, you're also housing families. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and building neighbourhoods and communities and providing particularly women somewhere to go if they're trying to get away from, oh, what's that term? Domestic violence. And we should be really clear about this because – at a macro level, so the Greens, based on this Max Chandler Ma, is his name, I believe, uh, who is their housing spokesperson, has said the Greens will block this bill. So there'll be zero. Oh, what a coincidence the Greens are blocking public housing. There's again. zero. So so it's not that there's more. It goes from 30,000. You can have 30,000 over five years or you can have zero. The Greens and the Liberals are choosing zero. That's the choice they've made. So ideologically, we understand why the Liberals are opposed to public housing. Yeah, totally. Well, the modern Liberals. The yeah. modern Liberals are opposed to public housing because they just absolutely mm-hmm. despise the concept of society. They're post-Thatcherist. Yeah. And, and in speaking in ideological terms, yeah. like people wonder why Thatcher had such dominance of British politics for so long, was able to wreak international damage with this whole, the, literally it's a quote from her, there's no such thing as society, there's only individuals. And the modern Liberal Party, whether they're moderate yeah. or indifferent or crazy right-wingers, they all believe that. They're all Thatcher's children in that way. Yeah. One of the reasons she was able to get such a hegemonic, that is total culture-defining control of particular economic narratives, was the British Labor Party at that time went as bonkers as the Australian Liberal Party or the Liberal Party of Australia is going right now. So on the other side of the ideological spectrum was the problem. There was a faction of the British Labor Party when Margaret Thatcher was in power that believed that big commitment was to like Passadism, which is a form of of Marxism that involves colonising outer space. Like that was an actual thing that was happening that had a tendency in the British Labor Party and it was all – you know, we've got a ideological purity contests and yeah. the rest of it. And this is always the danger. This is what happens when you let your zealots run riot. And and what's happened in the Greens is that the the zealotry of the Greens is absolutely on display because this character Because they're a particularist movement. They are a particularist movement, right? They're not majoritarian. And we know, we know in Victoria and we know from uh, the experience in Sydney and now they're seeing it in Brisbane as well, where Greens get very well organised at a local level and they get themselves elected to councils, they block housing developments. Like they, they block housing developments for low-income elderly residents this, in South Yarra. This was a famous, famous case. This yeah. is a defining, you know, Greens and Labor people are not the same yeah. because a Green-dominated city of Yarra Council, like, would not issue approval for the creation of, so- like, social housing for impoverished senior Australians, extremely marginal group, people who cannot be homeless or they will die because, and this was the cited reason one tree was in the way. Now, City of Yarra, for those of you who don't know, is a very leafy suburb. Has plenty of trees. Melbourne. This was not a particularly historical tree. There was no Indigenous significance really attached to it. It fundamentally was just about maintaining housing values 
around the nearby streets. And that's what this boils down to, right? So Max Chan-Lamar, the member for Griffith, um, has been campaigning and photographed with the placards to stop the development of 1,300 new homes in his electorate on an old barracks. Likes to talk about poor people, doesn't want to live next to them. So an old barracks site and an old uh, industrial site, there's plans being submitted to have 1,300 new homes built. So, you know, barracks, people used to live in the barracks. Oh, people go, oh, but it's a floodplain. Well, there was a barracks there. People lived in the barracks and one was in, and the other side of the river is an industrial site. So we're talking about 1,300 new homes. The reasons given are that Max Chan Lamar wants there to be more parkland and wants, and doesn't want traffic congestion. Uh, like these are all the kind of nimbyisms that come out that, for people who haven't heard that term, NIMBYism is not in my backyard, NIMBY. Yeah. And, and it's a dominant political tendency in the Greens. It is an absolute dominant political tendency in the Greens. Like the Liberals, you sort of get. They're the party of landlords. Turnbull Morrison campaigned hard on, you know, we're going to make it easier for landlords. We're going to give you more tax cuts. Like, tiny capitalists, not so tiny anymore. That's right. Uh, that's really- we want to. We don't want to grow public housing stock so much as grow capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. The Greens, however, people associate the Greens with being this kind of more right-on left-wing party. Yeah, no. The reality is they are a party of landed gentry who want to be aristocrats and tell everybody else how to live their lives at the same time as locking 1,300 families out of the seat of Griffith. Now, why do they do that? Because we know, we know when you look at booth breakdowns around the country where there is social and affordable housing in inner city suburbs, those are pockets of generally Labor voting people. And fundamentally, the Greens know this too. Adam Bant knows it in Melbourne. Max Chandler-Mar knows it in the city of Griffith, that if you allow affordable housing to be built. They know it in Richmond. City of Yarra, by the way, encompasses the state of Richmond, which of course fell to the Greens at the last state election here in Victoria. Why? Because they have shut out social housing. If you shut out social housing in the inner city, you make it more likely that the seat will fall to the Greens or potentially even Liberal, which of course Brisbane was until this great cataclysm that has engulfed the Liberal Party. It is fundamentally a political calculation On the one hand, the Greens are out there saying we will not support Labor's national investment in more social and affordable housing, which is what fundamentally PASCO says needs to happen, which fundamentally everybody says needs to happen. Anyone who's actually seriously talking about this, by the way. Oh, yeah, if anybody who's serious. One of the arguments the Greens make is that it should be 100% public housing, like it should, uh, but it, which ignores the fundamental problem that working class people need somewhere to live as well. And in fact, I mean, it just makes a mockery of the fact that the Greens speak out of both sides of their mouth. Oh, we're the, we're the party of the environment and we really care about, you know, public transport, livability. And, you know, we love Melbourne because Melbourne's such a livable city. And yet we don't want, we want, 
to force people like sanitation workers, like uh, teachers, teaching assistants, like healthcare support staff, nurses. Like nurses, like, you know, council workers, all these people who actually do the work, the work of running the physical infrastructure of the community to keep people healthy and safe mm-hmm. and enjoying life, retail assistants, hospitality workers that price them out, price them out of where those people need to do. And we should be really fundamentally clear about this. Australian and international research clearly shows that a mix of housing is actually beneficial for everyone involved. So a mix of social housing, that is for people who are on the lowest of incomes, of key worker or essential worker housing, that is essentially market market rentals but at a discount, often 20 30% discount so that those workers who work at the hospital don't have to travel two hours to get from where they live to work at that hospital, for example. Or aged care workers and will not have to sleep overnight in their cars to make their next shift. Correct. And a mix of at market rate uh, rental or, or for sale property that actually there are lots of stats and lots of research that shows when you have that kind of mix, you get benefits, right? Because children who are in families where perhaps there has been multi-generational unemployment see people getting up and going to work every day and that they can see that there are different ways of living your life. The people who are key workers can see that there is actually real social benefit in what they're doing and, and that the, the work they're doing is not just in the workplace but has a social benefit and they see that in, in their lived lives and that people who have money and finance to buy a home or to pay a market rent can actually see that they're part of a society and that inequality is actually not a good thing and that these people who are on low incomes are people. They're not mere statistics that come up occasionally on a current affair. They're neighbours and they're part of their community. So there's all this benefit that derives from I want to add mixed- one more group. I want to, I want to add uh, artists and media makers. Yeah. Because, and I know this from my own experience in teaching and looking at generations of students who are training to be artists and media makers. When I did my creative arts degree, like no one lived at home. Yeah. No one lived at home. Everybody moved out when they were 18. We were independent. We were learning how to be adults. We were going through adult experiences. The last time I taught, um, not at a regional university, but at a city campus, the majority of my students still lived at home. Yeah. And that's really dangerous artistically because if you're from – if you're living in this sort of extended adolescence effectively yeah. where you are still in the family home when you're 20, 25, even 30, and I'm even hearing about people who are in their oh, early yeah, 30s still at home, oh, well, we're saving Average up ages. to buy and the yeah. rest of it. Like there's a connection with diversity in community. You don't really have many stories to tell yeah. if you're still living with your parents when you're 30. Yeah. And you know, and quite quite honestly, you know, what makes art vibrant and interesting is its willingness to exist and the margins of experience and to see, you know, the diversity of human character. That's actually really important. Mm. And to just extend your high school lifestyle into your, like, you know. Late 20s, early 30s. Late 20s, early 30s is really incredibly dangerous. There are a lot of artists who vote for the Greens who are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I think 
friends and they're, you know, really progressive. And it's like you're cutting your own throat. Like where are your opportunities to find affordable housing and live on your own terms and create spaces and be in mm. diverse environments and meet other people? And one of the things that Pasco talks about is that there is a lack of uh, real commitment to solving these problems uh, and and look, he's critical of labor as well in this, right? Like he's critical that the the labor uh, affordable housing fund doesn't go far enough, and it may not go far enough. Like let's be honest, it could go further. Like we'd all like it to go further. Yeah, I but, think labor would like it to go further, but but there's got to be political momentum. Yeah, there does because at the moment the Sydney Morning Herald is saying that the solutions are things like lending policies, capital gains changes, negative gearing changes, rental freezes. Um, you know, like these are not solutions. The National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, which, which the board of which includes a what former- does it have the responsibility for? Well, it it has. I'm not sure what it has responsibility for. Um, it it has responsibility, I would imagine, for financing the public housing. Right. Which it doesn't seem to be doing. No. Well, I mean, that's why I asked because I'm just like, it's got a great name. What does it actually do? Well, I don't know. It's not very clear in the piece. I've got to be honest with you. But maybe part of the reason it's not clear what it does is because it's got a former Liberal MP on the board, current director of Mervac, which, of course, is a large uh, corporate developer, a life member of the developer's lobby, the Urban Development Institute of Australia, and the former CEO of two of Australia's largest residential building companies, and the fifth board member is a former tax lawyer. The RBA itself has said that there's a problem with housing supply, but really just says that the solutions are zoning laws and planning changes, which of course are not going to happen while there are Greens and councils blocking uh, inner urban uh, I mean, a tree might be in the way. Like, th- this is fundamentally a macro and a micro issue. Like, the debate needs to move away from how do we incentivize tiny capitalists to become bigger, fatter capitalists and have more uh, more land to lord over. And <laughs> so they can house their children into their mid-30s, yeah. And how do we move towards government intervention in the market? That's Pasco's point. In this NHFIC or whatever body gets established, which is part of the reason I think Labor wants a new fund, right, is to be able to abolish the old thing and bring in something new. Labor's done this a number of times since it's been in government. Works quite well. Of course, the Greens are now blocking this one, so we're stuck with the former Liberal and the developers oh, and whatever. Oh, just what an amazing coincidence. But, you know, the thing is that a lot of people have expressed horror going, I can't believe that the Greens are blocking housing. There'd have to be a really good left-wing reason. And it's like there's never a good left-wing reason to block, like, public and social housing, a mixed housing development. Like, the mixed is the point, as you were saying. Yeah. But there's this the, – the reality is we live in Victoria. We've been dealing with the Greens blocking moves on public and social housing since the Andrews government got elected. The Andrews government had a key election promise when they were elected in 2014 that they were going to address the housing Mm. shortage in Victoria and they were going to build new housing stock. And the Greens spent the entire first term of the Andrews Labor government blocking moves to build housing. They set up front groups, oh, you know, residents for like leafiness and mm. whatever. And, you know, residents who want like totally like public housing when it was social and mixed housing that was what was yeah. on offer and was creating all these opportunities for key workers in particular. And Labor could not move on the issue of public housing until their second term when the numbers in the upper house changed yeah. and the Greens couldn't block them anymore. 
it is just absolutely enraging and people convince themselves that it's somehow progressive, that it's actually more progressive to want parkland in an inner city area where capital is concentrated. You actually want to enrich the land values of those who already hold wealth. And that is not a progressive position. Do you know what that is? That's a Tory position. And there's already a parkland there. There's already a parkland there. Look, we need to move on because we've <sighs> run over. Um, there is good news, Van. There is good news and it is environmental good news. Lecture me about the good News. So this is from our regular listener and supporter, Daniel Conway, sent me this article uh, about a $650 million battery for Western Australia. So Synergy, the state-owned utility company, has put in a joint a development application uh, for a second battery near its first $155 million grid-scale battery uh, on the site of the shuttered uh, Quinana, I've probably said that wrong, power station in Perth. The new big battery will store uh, 200 megawatts of energy uh, and absorb uh, or supply energy to a rate of 100 megawatts. Sorry, that's the first one. The second one, which is even bigger, will store 800 megawatts of energy and absorb or supply energy at a rate of 200 megawatts. This is fantastic. This means that renewables can be built and the energy that they generate for when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine can can be stored in these batteries. Huge win for the environment in WA, huge win for renewables. Electrification is the way WA, we know, is doing lots in this space. But I Who wanted, runs the government in WA, remind me? That would be the almost one-party state of <laughs> Mark McGowan. But a big shout-out to Daniel Conway for sending us that. If you do have stories you'd like us to discuss, uh, do send them across. You can send them to us via Facebook. You can email them to theweekonwednesday at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter, of course. And, and Ben makes very cute TikToks. Uh, I do try. They're not very good. Uh, but you can also like, share. All of the links, of course, are there. And our supporter page is where we do send an email from our supporter page to people who, whether they chip in uh, when they can or they give a buck a week or they become an extend the reach supporter and chip in $10 a month or a cadre supporter chips in 20. We do send an email with the links for the episode so you'll get extra content. Uh, and of course, you will get uh, the links to uh, Apple in particular before anywhere else gets them. Uh, and of course, every episode, we like to give a shout out to our cadre and our Extend the Reach. And Van, I think you've got the list there. Oh, baby. Yes, I do. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Our cadre, Joe Lockery, Steph Karina Bali, Jancy Campbell, Adleona Gibbons, Shane Horsfall, Colm Kelly, Ali Vance, Mary M, Love Your Work, Yeet Yeti, at Annie Bailden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Boris, Kristen Sakluna, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Giotta, at Jed Carney, Christine Cole, Tamara James, Bronwyn, Punch Drunk Veteran, at Jenny Forster 7, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, No Twitter for Me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, No Relation, Richard Sands, I'm Not on Twitter, Glenn Robbie, Bresh, Daniels, Kylie, Phillips, Linda Cartwright, at Leanne Shingles. I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers. At Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Nerissa Simon, at Cuttergale, Lauren Ash and Banjo, Matthew Hadley, at Narunga Man, John Sharpen, Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, at Red, White and Blue Lou, and Extend the Reach supporters. Ah, Stuart Munn, Blah Goya, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, at Vicken Bit, 
Adrian Valente, Mazritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Newhurst, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lapino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, Pauline Bate, Helen, Sanj Kelly, Darina, Kathy Hay, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron, Tridragon, Daniel at Crazy Keza, John DeHaan at Ange Fennell, Annie Uren at Ross Kenner 888, Kathy Burgess, Kirsten Black, Melanie Dinning, Jodie A. Nod on Twitter, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, at K. Not, at Didams, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graver, Someone, Feeder W. Tanya George, Nandita Hannum, Maura Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Hynden, at Galvest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Elian, and Andrew Ivers Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kim Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Bunk and Basher, Katie Ward, at The Real Never Long Body, Sandy Baumgart, at Non Sandy B, and Renee McGee. And I totally ran out of breath then. <laughs> It's the longest list I think we've ever had. Wow, we've got heaps of new supporters. And we want to give a huge thank you to everybody who chips in. Uh, and don't forget... We love you, chipper inners. The podcast will always be free to listen and download. Your support means we reach even more people. Uh, we're having a bumper, bumper few last few episodes. We're reaching thousands and thousands of people. We're smashing the Murdoch media on podcasts. It's been just incredible. We will have, I will have a break from the weekend wrap this Sunday. Because it's Ben's birthday. I am turning 40. We are having the festival of Ben all weekend. <laughs> and if I sound a little bit ratty, that might be because I've been cleaning the house to make it beautiful for him. Thank you so much, Vanny. So until we talk again on Wednesday, love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.